Hi everyone, this is Sherry Rice. Welcome to Access to Healthcare's weekly podcast, where we bring you local guests on topics of interest to you and your family. Today we are continuing our series on COVID-19 and the effect it has on our essential workers with Carla Adams, Chief Nursing Officer for Northern Nevada Medical Center. Welcome back, Carla. Oh, thank you very much. This uh, We're on our third podcast. Uh, we've covered the first few weeks of the pandemic, how it was for you and your staff. Uh, last week we talked about personal protective equipment for your staff. That was really enlightening. I know that Jackie and I, and Jackie is my uh, person who tapes and sort of my producer for this, uh, we both learned a lot uh, from that. So thank you so much for how detailed you got it. And, and it was such a fabulous picture of what it takes for someone to be in that equipment, especially when you talked about, of course, all of the gowning and the double gloving and the mask, but also the uh, papper that you talked about, uh, the big hood that goes over their head and what it's like to be in that for 8, 10, 12 hours a day. That was um, that was very revealing, Carla. Thank you. Yeah, it was uh, like we were just watching it, wasn't it, Jackie? Sure was. Yeah. Today we're discussing how your essential workers have and are coping with the stress. Um, that's a big one, and certainly even on a national level, there's been many, many interviews uh, with nurses and frontline staff and what it's like for them and the stress it takes, because not only do they uh, have the stress of, of trying to be there for their patients with COVID, they have the stress of worrying about themselves with COVID and then the stress of worrying about their families uh, with COVID. So let's again, because you and I have done this a few times, let's go back to mid-March again when we knew that COVID was in our community. Um, what was the attitude of your essential workers uh, then? And and what I mean by that um, attitude, were they scared, anxious? I know the rest of us were. I would say, Sherry, you are correct. Um, most of the staff had not experienced anything to the magnitude of COVID. Um, so the beginning of March, when we were seeing multiple patients with COVID symptoms, uh, there were a lot of mixed emotions. Uh, thoughts were going to, you know, what, what if I get COVID? What if I take it home to my family? How can I keep myself safe so that my family stays safe? Mm-hmm. That The health system is supposed to be this safe haven, but in the case of COVID, you know, did we know enough to provide the best care possible? This all causes, you know, uneasiness on multiple fronts. Well, and we know so much more now than what we knew then as to how to care for um, a COVID patient. How did how did people deal with their anxiety, and how did uh, you in Northern Nevada Medical Center support their staff with their anxiety? Well, I think that pulling and laying out the plans of how Northern Nevada Medical Center was going to step-by-step step handle the care of COVID patients, um, stressing the protection of our staff and physicians was one of the initial concerns and thoughts to help reduce anxiety. 
um, having the disaster plan for COVID, um, we actually had a team consisting of the multiple physicians from the ER, anesthesia, intensivists, critical care, and hospitalists. That made a difference um, because they would, in turn, communicate with their um, colleagues nursing leaders, the lab, supply chain, environmental services, engineering, just really sharing out openly the plans that we had created. Um, we had group communication with our leaders through conference calls each day. Uh, it was followed up with written communication so that information on changes could be shared um, through our safety huddles that we did twice a day. They had already been well established, so that was a good thing. Um, just physically rounding on staff to keep a pulse on the stress level. Our leaders, I hats off to them, they, they did an amazing job kind of owning their business. Each of the departments were owned by the leader. Um, looking at the staff, trying to have conversations so that they could know what was happening as we were making very quick changes from our routine daily operations to now a COVID-19 operations. Um, examples, no volunteers, visitors, vendors, you know, no elective surgeries. We stopped them March 18th, and they were, that was stopped through May 4th. Um, COVID units being set up separately and from non-COVID units so that we could um, keep patients separated. Uh, we're also uh, believers in critical debriefing. When an event happens, what we do is we pull together after the event. Um, this might be a code, it might be a death, um, it might be something that caused heightened stress in a day, and we would consider that an event. And we pull a group together to really talk about it. We can identify things done well, identify things that we could improve on for next time. Um, we offer time to listen to each of the staff members, kind of share their, their thoughts and their feelings about whatever the event was, um, so that really healing and then resiliency to get, um, to get back at it occurs. Um, Recently, we sent out a, a list of resources of, of free help to deal with stress, fear, and anxiety. Things like um, the Crisis Support Services of Nevada. Uh, we have, there's a crisis text line, a disaster um, hotline, the warm line uh, for healthcare workers, National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, something called Safe Voice, um, that provides uh, students a safe place to right. submit tips. Yeah. And then um, a 211, or they could visit the Nevada211.org um, for referrals to health and human social services. It's just looking at any area that might be able to help our staff um, as they might be coping with uh, stressors that may be work-related, but they may be home-related. Right. All of it so, we consider it. Let me go back to when you first started, Carla. The, I think the same thing occurred for access to health care. In the beginning, there was so much 
we had very little time to figure out what to do. And there's, we realized that we could decrease everyone's anxiety if they realized that we had a plan. Because having a plan is security, which decreases people's anxiety. It also shows that the leadership um, has a way forward. Uh, is that kind of what you saw in the very beginning? Absolutely. You're spot on. That's exactly what our approach ended up being. I think that initially it was even for us as leaders, um, senior leaders, the physicians, we all wanted to um, pull together, collaborate, and just make sure we were on page so that we did not miss a beat. And honestly, more eyes and ears and voices are very valuable. So at, with this crisis, we wanted um, we wanted a think tank, if you will, so that we were pulling the best minds together to come up with a solid plan. So in that initial um, of getting ready for what is coming, which of course the anxiety is the fear of the unknown because you haven't experienced it, and I think that happened to a lot of us and certainly the frontline workers, I would imagine, but then they got their first COVID patient, and I believe that that was towards the end of March, wasn't it? It was, yeah. The, the, the scary part of COVID-19 is you don't know which patient will or will not be positive for the virus. Um, we had multiple patients during the first half of March that came through the emergency department with COVID-like symptoms. They might have sore throat, cough, body aches, fever, but they tested negative. Hmm. So we were in um, heightened preparation mode during that time. Um, the testing has been another source of anxiety for all of the healthcare community. You know, we questioned the accuracy. We tested patients um, who we thought had the assessment and presentation of COVID, and they may or may not come back um, positive. So uh, we tested some multiple times. Um, However, going back to the question of our first patient, um, let me let me interrupt for a second because you brought up the testing, and that that's of course uh, today a huge issue in Washoe County. When right now at Washoe County, if you get a test, it's taking five to eight, maybe ten days to get it back. In the beginning, uh, how can somebody wait that long? Were you able to get the test back quicker? Well, we have a, a pretty amazing infection preventionist here at Northern, and um, secretly she had uh, some close ties to the health department. So what we were doing, because we were testing only those that really uh, warranted it, we were not doing as many tests as we we're doing today. Mm -hmm. um, so with that, we would send a test. She would follow it the whole way through. She would call the health department, and believe it or not, we were getting them back in those early, early days within a day. Um, and then it became two days. And then it became three days. And then four days as the health department just got busier and busier. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, at, at first it was... Well, that know, must change how you... Does that change how you treat someone that comes in through the ER with all the symptoms and you can't get something back for three or four days, do you assume they have COVID? We do. We call them a rule-out 
outpatient. Mm-hmm. We put rule out patients on the COVID unit on a separate. So we, like our med surge COVID unit is divided. It's uh, a total of 14 beds, seven beds on the rule out side and seven beds on the positive side. They're both negative airflow protected, um, but the ones on the rule outside, the doors are closed in all in every one of the COVID rooms. So that is what CDC recommends. However, we went above and beyond and we actually barricaded and made the entire unit um, negative airflow, which I think is is really wonderful. But they're all private rooms. So the Whenever we found out that they were negative on the rule out, we would then move them up to a non-COVID unit um, and switch their department or room. If they ended up being positive, we would move them then over to the other side of that unit. Oh, interesting. Well, let's go back to a few minutes ago. I, I asked you how things changed for the stress of the frontline workers when you got your first COVID patient, then we kind of went off on a tangent, which is what you and I do. But let's go back to that. Um, How did things change when you got your first patient? Well, uh, you know, I feel like we followed the plan, so it wasn't a dramatic change because I feel like for the most of the month of March, we were... Um, we were in high heightened preparation mode, looking at the plan, constantly communicating out. So I feel like as the positives, first positives uh, came and they were in our intensive care unit, it was, you know, we were on stage, if you will. Uh, there were partnerships helping others uh, get dressed and ready to go into the COVID rooms, um, it was it was well thought out, I will say that. And I feel that even though internally we were um, nervous and scared for the patients, not knowing what was going to happen, I feel like we were prepared and as prepared as we could be at that moment. Things were changing. So... I feel like each day was a new day, and and we kept telling the staff um, we would use today. Here's what we're doing, that sort of thing. And did you was staff? Did they have the opportunity to say, "I don't want to take care of COVID patients"? Yes and no. Um, Was there nervousness from the staff about caring for the COVID? Absolutely, yes. Um, we had to focus on education and safety of our staff. Um, Several staff stepped forward with legitimate legitimate reasons not to care for COVID patients. Pregnancy, immunosuppression of themselves, Mm -hmm. and we definitely honored that. Um, I remember getting a call from a concerned nurse um, who had a special needs child, and she wanted a guarantee that we would keep this COVID away from her child and do no harm. Um, She was genuinely concerned and was not working on a COVID unit, but her request at that time was could she wear a 
um, high-level mask when she came to work because she feared the entire hospital environment. Right. And in the beginning, if you remember, um, we were very concerned about our personal protective equipment. Right. And they were not able to wear the mask. So I, I remember, unfortunately, telling her to, to wear a cloth mask because that's what we were telling the staff. Right. And how to wash it with soap and water. She sounded so disappointed when we hung up. I felt for her, so I ended up picking up the phone, and I called her back a few minutes later, and I told her that we would make special accommodations for her to wear a surgical or N95 mask, even though at the time they were like gold. Um, so it was above and beyond just to help her feel yeah. safe and stay in our environment. Yeah. Well, that um, that shows how much your organization places their staff as a priority. Uh, it also speaks to, to your understanding of somebody's emotional need at that time. It certainly will make for a loyal employee when you look at them individually like that versus as a collective group. What about the ancillary essential workers, maintenance, housekeeping? Um, how? How did they cope, and how do they cope with this? Because they go right into the rooms, right? Yes. Um, initially, we limited access to the COVID areas. So ancillary staff, such as environmental services or housekeeping, dietary, material supply staff, um, they had the nurses carry out their functions. So the material supplies, the meal trays, they would be delivered to the hallway outside of the area. They would then call the nurse's station, let them know that they had a delivery, and a nurse or CNA um, would come out, get the meals or supplies, and they would have to um, deliver and deal with um, whatever was being delivered from there. Uh, the meal trays were disposable. Um, we had inside the COVID unit, uh, clean staff and dirty staff that work together. So, and I know that sounds terrible, but the the dirty staff, or oh, we, we could call them COVID staff. Right. Um, they were suited up and whatnot. They could not go out in the hallway or anything. But the, the clean staff, they were gowned and, and masked and everything, um, but they were the ones, they were the eyes, ears, um, and arms of functionality of the unit. So we definitely had to double up staff, if you will, yeah. because this was yeah. these were special times. Right. And what about the cleaning of the room? Okay. So our, our housekeepers, uh, they were very concerned. The director of this area, very protective of his staff, um, wanting to keep them safe for good reason. So initially, the staff were doing the cleaning of the COVID areas. Um, we had bleach, um, bleach mopping, and, and not normal mopping. They were mopping um, uh, pads that were thrown away and whatnot. Um, they were definitely working. We, we had to have a lot of education. The, our infection preventionist and director of housekeeping educated the nursing staff um, to carry out these functions because we were really only wanting key must go into these COVID areas to be entering. 
Um, but as time went on, uh, we did pull, again, the infection preventionists um, to educate some key housekeeping staff uh, to ensure that they were properly supported and trained to enter and clean the COVID areas. So to this day, only a select few are assigned to clean these areas um, so that we maintain a high level of safety um, because it's, it's really a heightened focus to keep our staff safe. Uh, true, and, and safe both physically and emotionally. One of the things that I think really resonates with me is is the nursing staff um, and their need to support a patient that can have family come in who is dying. I can't even imagine that. And you, we heard stories nationally about over and over uh, about that frontline staff, the only one that can be there for the patient. And of course, my sense would be is that. Uh, we all have a fear of dying alone, or a lot of us do, and that that manifests itself uh, right here in the COVID pandemic. Yeah, yes. I can't personally speak to what it feels like to be isolated in a room for days on end with only having contact with a, a nurse and a CNA on a given shift. Um, we're thankful for the technology that we have, and when it comes to COVID, we really put that into play. Um, we have uh, phone calls are one thing, um, but they aren't enough. Yeah. We set up both FaceTime and Zoom on iPads for the support of visits of families. And really, I think that that was helpful for the staff as well because, you know, nursing staff are very social uh, human beings mm -hmm. and and very caring and whatnot and it it's it's really hard to be in your spacesuit and um, not be able to touch skin to skin right. that's something that is very common for us now we're touching through double gloves and you know it's it's not quite the same but you know FaceTime to a single or multiple family members is an event of joy and tears to both patient and family and actually the nursing staff. Mm -hmm. We've had to make, we made exceptions uh, for in-person visits with special training sessions to assist the gowning, the gloving, the escorting through the hospital and whenever a loved one uh, was coming in to say goodbye to another loved one. You know, I know that um, some hospitals did not allow that, but we thought that that was probably critical as far as a lasting memory for families. Um, so we did, um, we called those special circumstances very emotional, but I think it was very helpful for both the families that were in crisis as well as our staff. Oh, absolutely. Crisis. So, I'm overwhelmed just listening to yeah. it I, it's, and what that must be like for everybody. I can't, can't yeah. even imagine it. You know, I applaud you for making some allowances for those families. Yeah. Yeah, there there was definitely an air of, you know, protect at all cost and and that of the human factor and the need yes. of contact. So
so we had to, you know, we had to balance that emotional roller coaster um, that is at an all-time high for many of our careers, mine included. Um, but I think that the love for our own families during this time um, is also at an all-time high due to COVID, um, knowing how fragile life can be and, you know, doing our very best each day um, to try and help those that are in need connect as best we can. Do you celebrate each person that leaves the hospital that has had COVID? You know, we have, but not all of the 55 of our COVID-positive patients um, who have left our hospital have had kind of the, the big celebration. Yeah. Yeah. One that I do recall in particular um, was with us for uh, probably two months, maybe a little over two months. Um, she had been so sick and so weak, um, she needed to go to our rehabilitation care, which we have in the hospital. However, due to her being positive COVID, for safety reasons, uh, we kept her on the COVID unit and made special allotment that physical and occupational therapy would still come down, work with her to build her strength, um, and worked with the nursing staff to get that needed three hours of, we call it strength building, um, but true engagement and interaction a day. We grew very fond of her, um, as we do many of our, our patients. Um, she had been cared for in both the ICU for an extended period of time, and then as she improved, she moved to the med surge COVID area. And uh, she was able to go to the ICU when she discharged to see her husband, who was there um, as still as a patient. This was a very special time. We then set up a parade of staff throughout the facility with her permission. Um, everybody lined the hallways um, to the first floor lobby where she was greeted by her sons who were awaiting her arrival to take her home. It, it definitely was a very, very special um, farewell to her. Mm. I don't know what to say after that. Yeah. Um, what can the community do to show their appreciation for the essential health care workers? What what can we do to let them know how much we appreciate their, because it is a sacrifice. You, we, you've made that very, very clear. They've sacrificed many things to help many people. What can we do to show our appreciation? So um, compliance is one thing, uh, wearing masks and doing hand hygiene. Um, we need to show a united front to slow and stop the spread of, of, of coronavirus. Uh, we had an outpouring of gratitude from the community, business, as well as individuals. Uh, we had donations of supplies, equipment, food, food, more food. <laughs> it was such a blessing. Our, our staff are so grateful to many of the, the restaurants and businesses who um, donated to the restaurants and, and had the food delivered. Um, but the PPE was wonderful from the nursing schools, construction companies, hotels. It was all absolutely wonderful. You know, we even received 
an, an outpouring of, I will say, some were homemade cards with poems, uh, cards, and I really wanted to, I couldn't find the card I wanted to read to you that somebody hand hand wrote and made, and she wasn't even from this area, mm. but I think that there she may have had a loved one that came here. She was from California, and she, I, I cried when I read her card, um, just really showing her care and gratitude um, and love towards our staff for um, saving those that were saving with COVID and just making a difference um, to the community for those that we serve. Well, Carla, I want to thank you for this podcast. I know that Jackie and I have been very moved by your stories, and I'm sure that we've only heard a few of them. I'm sure you have many, and that we could do uh, two or three podcasts just on the uh, stories that you'd have to tell of the uh, of the perseverance and the loyalty and the caring and the sacrifice that your staff have made. We've been talking about the emotional toll that uh, COVID-19 can take on our essential health care workers. My guest has been Carla Adams, Chief Nursing Officer for Northern Nevada Medical Center. Carla, thank you so much. I know we're going to do another podcast in a couple of weeks, and I really look forward to that. And I thank you so much for all of the effort that you've put into these podcasts. Well, thank you, Sherry. It's been a pleasure. Next week, Carla and I will discuss the next six months of the pandemic um, and uh, take a look at some data and some different things to share with you around COVID-19. I want to thank everyone for listening. For a list of our podcasts, go to accesstohealthcare.org slash podcast. And please, everyone listening, stay safe and please wear your mask.